How do we determine when our research has impact? If our aim is to produce research that contributes to making a positive difference in the world, how do we measure and track achievements? In this episode of Between the Lines, IDS Director of Communications and Impact, James Georgilakis, speaks with James Gow and Henry Redwood from King's College London, who co-authored the book, Impact in International Affairs, The Quest for World-Leading Research. They explore the concept and the characteristics found in world-leading impact, as identified by the UK Research Excellence Framework, or REF. They also discuss the limitations of such frameworks that tend to treat change processes linear and miss some of the more difficult to measure positive impacts. I just wanted to give my first impressions of your book. I mean, I thought it was really interesting. I've worked on the impact agenda for a number of years now, and I think you provide a really good overview of how impact has been set out and described by various research councils and so on. You've, you've provided some very helpful definitions of impact. And I thought your exploration of the impact case studies from the research excellent framework were, were really fascinating. And this clue will be of interest to people, not just in international affairs, but in the social sciences more broadly. So I wanted to start by just asking you both, what, what brought you to want to write this book in the first place? What, why the focus on international affairs and the research excellence framework? I have a long-term de facto interest in impact. Uh, and that was also given a sharper focus uh, around 10 years ago when I was asked to do some work on the emerging impact agenda for research councils uh, to do an evaluation of impact in their research, which really got me interested in it. So first I was interested in practice. Uh, I come from a background and I work in an institution where uh, the motto is knowledge in the service of society. We work in a university environment, but it's focused where possible on making a difference in the world. And that's important. And I'd gone through an academic career uh, developing in particular through the 1990s where I'd done a lot of work engaging with the real world. Uh, I'd uh, had the historic misfortune to be a footnote in the history of the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia by being the one-eyed in the land of the blind and the first witness in the courtroom expert advisor. I was an expert advisor to UK Secretaries of State for Defence, all chance things coming along. So I was very deeply invested in this. When the research councils became interested in it as a formal agenda, I then became interested in it conceptually. Uh, through the last round of the terrible British uh, bureaucratic national research audits, the uh, uh, research, excellence, research excellence framework, before that research assessment exercise, I became involved in King's in developing uh, the impact part of our research submissions agendas. And so it's all come together in, a, in a various sets of ways. Uh, and in relation to international affairs, that's my dominant background. Yeah, we work in international affairs that embraces development, it embraces, em, embraces culture, it can embrace any number of different aspects, it's very broad. Uh, uh, so it's coming from that background and also knowing that many people in the field have a sense that somehow things have not performed the way they should have done that set a question going. Henry, maybe you could uh, just provide us with a very brief explanation of what is the Research Excellence Framework for those people listening to this who aren't familiar with it. 
Yeah, I guess at its most basic level, it's a way in which the quality, from a particular perspective, it's worth saying, of research in higher education departments is assessed. Uh, as James mentioned, there's been many forerunners to REF um, that have been going, I think, since the 1990s, although James can correct me on, on that in, in various guises. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a really a way in which the academic quality of, of work is is assessed by our peers so you have you have two strands two well three main strands to it uh, one is the research environment strand which is about the in, in research culture that different departments uh, generate and then you have the outputs which is the academic articles and books that that we write and then impact which is what um this book's about which is how that research has translated into uh, real world uh, impact and I think, if I may, I'd just add on that, that it's a long-running exercise. Uh, the British government provides money to British universities, research institutions. It looks to get a measure of what that's worth through the funding councils. Uh, but another factor in our approaching this topic is that in 2014, for the first time, this impact element was introduced into the formal assessment agenda. Uh, and that made it a particularly interesting topic because it produced a, set, a, a body of material that could be in some way interrogated to find out more. So we've got the general background of being interested in, in what makes a difference, translating research into uh, effects in the world, but also that focus on, on the bureaucratic assessment exercise, providing material as a way of getting into this and finding out more. Thank you. So in your in the book, you you provide a very interesting sort of brief history of international affairs. And you you write about this very sort of grand vision it had at the beginning of, well, literally stopping wars. Uh, and then so why, why do you think as a discipline, you found that it hasn't it didn't necessarily pick up on the impact agenda as easily or as quickly as some other uh, some other academic disciplines. Well, there may be a number of, of of reasons. Of course, it set out with a mission. It was invented as a as a field to make a difference in the world, uh, and it might be that the initial ambition was just too great. But it's also interesting that along the way, there had been, it's an uneven story. So, of course, there has been a difference made in various ways. But I wonder if one of the issues uh, is maybe simply the nature of the subject and the problem. It may be much easier if you're working in a field that feeds into a, a world shaped by policy for then, it, then to have impact. If you're working in a field where the policy discussion is part of the thing you're looking at, it becomes much harder to see where and how you make a difference in that kind of a way. So I think it may be a little bit in the nature of the subject. Uh, I suspect I have a hunch that a little bit about in terms of the evidence that we've used is also a little bit of maybe meanness on the part of those in the field assessing uh, what it's done. Uh, I do tend to notice that many social scientists across most of the realms, anthropology may be accepted here, tend to have a very mean approach to the ideas of data and evidence rather than trying to look for what's working and what's making uh, the best out of something. Yeah, I guess all I, all, all I would add to that is when we're thinking about it not having the same impact that you would maybe expect. I guess this is also it's also important to caveat that those 
findings was part of a broader, I guess, assessment of the field of international affairs is specific to the way that the um, discipline performed in the ref. So that's not to say that there are other forms of impact that the discipline has had, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, um, within how the world functions and how society functions. Um, that some of which is recorded in the ref, quite a, some of it isn't, and that's most certainly true. That quite quite a lot probably of, of the impact that academics work has doesn't get picked up with some of these forms of assessment although as one of the things that the book does is think about how the framework itself has changed and I think it's perhaps expanding its its approach to impact in a way that is allowing for a broader um, array of forms of impact to be um, to be measured and um, so yeah I guess just to caveat this with what where the evidence comes from as, as well with the statements that we're we're making yeah and if i may uh, come back on that i think that that one reason we had for looking at international affairs was that it was celebrating its centenary as a field around the time that we were doing this but it is important to note that one of the things that does come up very often uh, and it did in the research i was doing 10 years ago when i first started looking at this formally in relation to research council work, is that the differences made are not those that necessarily translate into the terms understood by the REF process or by research council definitions. And one of the things that we found and that we argue in the book is to ex- we identify a typology which draws on work of, 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 of others. But one thing that we really add is the idea of process or a procedural impact because one of the things we've found in international affairs, aside from the research in the book, but it feeds into, it comes out of evidence we get that's presented in the book as well, uh, is that very often people know that there's a difference being made, but it can't be captured in the ways that the formal process so far has expected. Yeah, and just just to, I guess, one more point on this, but it's also worth saying that politics and international studies isn't unique. And I think one of the things, and so me and James were talking this morning about some of the other statistics that come up around different um, subjects and different disciplines. And I think the one that, well, surprised us certainly even more so was how poorly um, disciplines that have an applied aspect to them did in in the last ref. So if you're thinking about things like engineering, um, natural sciences, that, you know, they're fields that are almost, you would imagine, well, I certainly imagine prior to looking at the outputs that you would expect them to sweep up with the ref. And they're, they're sort of absolutely primed to be, yeah, scoring the highest marks possible and they and they weren't. Um, that's something we didn't look into in, in any great depth beyond noting it because that wasn't you know what the focus of of the book was but I think yeah. if we set aside the idea that most medicine is an applied field in some way even if it's pure research it's still related to the applied field uh, I think that's a really important point to stress that it was striking how often applied areas we're not seeming to perform at the levels you'd assume because their whole purpose is to make a difference in the field they're working in. Uh, some exceptions, electrical engineering at, at Imperial, for example, but it was a surprising broad sense that those who seem to be designed to make a difference, and that maybe affects politics, international studies as well, uh, weren't making the difference as we might expect. 
That is interesting because in some sometimes social scientists who feel a bit aggrieved about the impact agenda talk about there being too much emphasis on uh, the applied research and this idea of technical fixes that everything you know everything that good come that will come out of research for society and the economy is sort of a technical fix and that it's this isn't good because you know a broader understanding of impact is needed. I, I really wanted to come back to this this uh, this this these definitions of impact. Um, because this is something I think we're really interested in at IDS and we work do quite a lot of work on. And it might be good for people listening to this to, to, be, to, 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 to learn a bit more about these definitions. So there are three main definitions that kind of come from, particularly from the Economic and Social Research Council, but they've had a much wider application that you talk about um, the, the instrumental impacts the conceptual impacts and the capacity building impacts. And then, as you've said, you've added a fourth to this idea of procedural impact. Would you be able to just give us a very brief description of what each of the first three of those, what, what do they try and describe? What is an instrumental impact? Well, I think the key thing I, I, would, I would stress to begin with is that the simple route through all of this is making a difference. What makes a difference? So when we look at instrumental impact, it's the idea that something has been used in some way. So if we look at one of our, to me, this wow factor striking examples from the selection of case studies, we had research uh, on tracheal surgery led to a, a simple, effective and requiring little rehabilitation, tracheal transplant, the trachea in the throat, uh, by, by the medics at Bristol. Now, that is using the research. It's very clearly it is being used uh, and with a beneficial outcome. Of course, whether an outcome is beneficial is also a matter of debate, but I think we generally regard that one as beneficial without doubt. Conceptual is changing somebody's thinking, affecting their thinking. Yeah. So do they conceive of something in a different way? And one of my uh, own experiences, work we did that went into the 2014 REF submission from King's, uh, was work that I did with my colleague Fumi Alana Shakin, which changed the conceptualization uh, of youth, uh, also changed approaches and concepts to gender in ECOWAS, the Economic Organization of West African States, which then led to a big policy change throughout the organization and through the member states. So they changed the thinking that had other consequences. Capacity building is about translating research findings into its being used by others. So training programs that bring new research into this framework, convey it to others, they go away equipped with that knowledge. You're building up the ability for for that knowledge and understanding to spread its effect, to have direction in its effect, uh, and to reach different audiences. So those are those the three that emerge through the literature. Of course, I should point out that when we talk about capacity building, uh, the specific literatures that draw on it in no way draw on the literature that refers to capacity building, but that comes from other other aspects of the literature if you look more broadly. So in themselves, those are very broad. I mean, they're quite broad categories of impact. Why did you feel you needed to add this fourth, uh, this fourth definition of procedural impact? And if I've read the book correctly, one of your examples of this is, is engaging with the media. Uh, Well, engaging with media or media attention can be part of this and can be a manifestation of it. One of the first things that happens uh, if you go to any academic 
uh, as I've done in different contexts and start talking about impact, they say, oh, well, yeah, kind of, I was on TV, I did this and I was quoted here and I did that. And, and that's a, a very kind of commonplace and in a sense, almost common sense approach because something is resonating, something is being received. The reason that we focused on it or kind of want to develop and introduce it is that it's quite clear talking not so much to the academics who also share this, but to some of the people that uh, might be regarded or labeled as beneficiaries or users, the kind of language that's used kind of thing, who say, well, they can't quite point to research being used in an instrumental sense. They can't say the capacity is being built, although to stretch, we might say that the knowledge they gain is capacity building. Uh, and they can't say that their thinking has as such been changed. There's no kind of real conceptual change. You can take a concept as a as a, a as an idea framed with rational boundaries and what it is, and yet they feel the sense that they've benefited, that they it has made a difference in their appreciation of things. Uh, and a, 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 an example of this was a senior official in the government department in London uh, who engaged about this said, well, no, I can't, we can, yeah, I can't say it changed our thinking, but we really valued it. It really made a difference because we felt we had better understanding of what we were doing because of it, even if there's no real clear change to which you could point. So I think that's why it's important. And that comes through, uh, as you mentioned, in public engagement in media referencing, things where it's clearly received, maybe welcomed, but there's no clear sense of the difference that's being made is one that you can describe in instrumental, conceptual or capacity building terms. So, so one thing that I'd say is whilst that, as you pointed to, the, the framework itself is very broad. I think to understand it, you need to think about how it's also been applied. And I, I think this is something that through both working at King's and James has more experience and evidence of this than I do. And, and more broadly and anecdotally, I, I think that there were, there was a sense certainly at the REF 2014 that the concept of impact and what constituted meaningful impact was also quite narrowly understood as signifying policy work. Um, and that's what people were looking for. And I mean, there are there are lots of issues with that. And certainly the like policy work is a significant form of impact that lots of our, our colleagues do. But there's a whole plethora of other types of engagement and activity that that don't fall within that. And I think something that Polis did badly was recognise the diversity of and value of diversity of, of different forms of engagement. So particularly with the arts and with the cultural sector, that was something that I think wasn't as well celebrated. Um, and especially if we're thinking about, so, so, you know, development work and the move towards things like participatory action research and the use of arts projects, something that me and James have been involved with as well in, in the Western Balkans, that, that see the potential for impact to emerge in, in very different spaces to, to typical policy um, types of exchanges, which are, I would say are equally, if not perhaps sometimes even more profound and important in the type, types of positive contributions they, they can make. So, and as I said before, I think that we have seen 
or are seeing a migration towards a broader understanding and an and embrace of different types of, of, of impact. But I think there's still some yeah, prejudices or, or narrow thinking in terms of what impact could be, even though, as you say, there's a, it's, it's very broadly defined. So it should be a very embracing, a much more embracing concept than I think it often has been. Thank you. That's great. I mean, that that reminds me of of the section of the book where you set out some examples of transformative impacts. And quite a few of the examples you give are, you know, very much kind of clinical, medical or public health type interventions. Um, and And in many ways, this impact agenda emerged from medicine and public health. Do you think then there's a tendency for more value being placed on types of impact which in a sense are more easily measurable? So instrumental impacts tend to come out more strongly because people want a story to tell which is simple, when in fact the engagement of research with society is complex. Is that why we keep falling into this uh, this sort of slight trap, or perhaps even that these instrumental type impacts are just seen as better value for money for the sort of the taxpayer in some way. I I think that there is a tendency in some circles to see instrumental and especially policy instrumental work where it actually emerges as having greater value and that was a problem in the ref 2014 in discussions around it but i don't think that actually emerges even in the ref 2014 evidence because if we look at some of the great four-star case studies the top level case studies with which we were working uh, you look at queen mary and maria delgado's work on spanish theater yet yeah, one of the best strongest uh, examples to i think we which we turn uh, we can look to one of my favourites, uh, which is psychology at Birkbeck, and it's quite unusual because it was one researcher working on one painting with the Tate, Tate Britain using uh, eye movement analysis and technology to work out how to restore a painting that had not been on display for decades because it was damaged and worked out the best way in which to restore it without it seem to be a second best attempt at, at making this visible again. So I, I think we can look around and there is a breadth of things. The, the Newcastle work with Jackie Kay on poetry, I think it's, it is there, but it's certainly true. Michael Finnessy at Southampton, the music of Michael Finnessy, or the Royal Northern College of Music ones, uh, actually, in some ways, when you're creating you're producing something which in a way is easier to show having both conceptual and instrumental impact, maybe capacity building impact, because you can trace the compositions, you can trace their use. Uh, so I think we use so much about the, the value in that way. But I think in certain circles and against your background uh, at the Institute, our background at, at, at King's, those working in the social sciences certainly, uh, in my experience, have until now had very narrow conceptualizations of, of of what good impact is yeah but yeah that, i mean that's all i meant so the, the examples that you've picked no, all, that, yeah. all, are all from the later 30s assessment units of assessment aren't they so they are yeah, they're on the cultural where side, you would yeah yeah where you would expect that to feature more heavily whereas i mean we we know of some some instances at at king's for instance that were overlooked because they didn't conform to the the sort of 
more standard conceptions yeah. of, of what impact within politics and international relations or, or history could could mean. And I think certainly part of that's about uh, measurement uh, and and being able to display quickly um, in discrete ways where impact has been had. But I, I think it's more to do with a, a narrow narrow mindedness about what it is that politics and international studies means and what it is and where we have value um which is a which is a perhaps a wider critique of the discipline as a whole as well as as just its relationship to impact yeah and i would just broaden that it's absolutely true politics and international studies of international affairs but i think it it goes into other aspects of social science with anthropology as an exception. I, I, in my experience, uh, there's a quest for numbers. Yeah. And I think, James, you've made the point at the start. Yeah, is it because you can show numbers? Yes, in some ways it is because you can show numbers. Uh, and that's not something that's gone away, despite even the uh, UK uh, research and innovation, the, 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 the official bodies promoting the organization emphasizing that they want to stretch things, that they want culture to be embraced, that they want all kinds of things to be brought to this party, uh, you'll still find that most of the people, at least in the social science realm, are still thinking about certain kinds of instrumental impact as prime and numbers as the, as the evidence that you want. Yeah? Uh, so I think, yeah, it's a problem with which we're still struggling. In the book, you provide eight characteristics of impact um, which you identified across the uh, REF impact case studies. And, and a couple of these really stood out to me as of particular interest um, in relation to, you know, broader understandings of impact and how to achieve it. And one, one of those was you talk about the embedded role in implementation of researchers. Could you talk about that a little bit? Because it, it struck me as you seem to be suggesting there can be a real blurring of the boundaries between this idea of the research producer and the research user. I suppose it could be seen as a blurring of boundaries. Uh, I think it more of, of seeing it as a productive uh, form of interaction, uh, if not a complete union. Uh, I think what we see is that where something is making a difference much of the time, of course, this is not universal, but much of the time, we see that those involved in the research are then asked to take on a role uh, in taking it forward, In all, uh, for example, in organisations where it might make a difference. I mentioned the Echo Wars research that we did that went in 2014 research. Yeah? One part of that is that not only that Fumi was working with the Echo Wars Council, but Echo Ikpe was taken into the ministry organisation, was able to draft the agenda to frame articles for the organization to agree and to lead changing things on gender. Uh, it doesn't have to be the researcher that does it, but what we see is that where something is really being welcomed and making a difference, then there may be something of that kind that happens. Uh, or if we look at Sonia Livingston at the LSE's work with uh, child internet security uh, being taken on as a, as a, to lead a home office task force or working with the EU. Now, these are examples which show, I think, that they're not so much blurring of lines 
uh, as testimony to the value that's being brought from the research into the into the practice environment. Of course, if you come from an, an idea of an ivory tower academic background, and we all know that there are some academics who will feel tainted if they go anything near anywhere near concretely making a difference in the real world, then that, of course that would be far more than a blurring. It would probably be a deep sullying. Uh, but I think uh, for those of us who, who, who think making a difference, trying to improve things is a good idea, it's not so much a blurring as a positive interlocking. Yeah, uh, I guess perhaps where the question might have been coming from as well was thinking about, I guess, spaces where there is more of an active and overt blurring at times between uh yeah research and activist or research and uh policy maker which is i guess particularly prevalent uh in development studies and in peace building studies with the growing ever-growing use i mean it's a lot more firmly developed in, in development work but of things like participatory action research as a framework where the, the sort of implicit assumption is research should be driven by the needs of the communities that it's working with. And yeah, in many ways, that's, I guess, a way in which the impact agenda was uh, sort of fronted way before it became part of an institutional mm. um, framework of, of research assessment. Um, and just as an integral aspect of what it means to conduct ethical research which is something that yeah I think we are seeing more and more within international affairs as a international relations as a discipline as a as a whole and I think it's really important to stress that idea of ethical research some people have an idea of ethics as a simple mono moral position about something on off but ethics is a 5,000 year old tradition of negotiating wrongs and right complex patterns uh, and very often the outcome of that complex pattern is actually to work out how research might relate to the real world now that can mean the the original questions came from somewhere in that world around us and that can be a good thing what we want to avoid is having everything narrowly focused simply to demonstrate one purpose or to address one issue i think we have to maintain the value and integrity of research and that's also why yeah research for its own sake continues to be a treasured and valued item and we want to make sure not to lose sight of that while also looking to see ways in which the research might have relevance, might make a difference. I think that's what, what James was just, I think that's a, and something that I certainly learned from, from James and our, our colleague Rachel Kerr at King's is, yeah, that speaks, uh, and is now perhaps more accepted, an accepted way of developing a research project, but is to speak to the communities that you want to work with before you start anything and ask them what they want and so the, the uh, one of the big research projects that James and, and Rachel headed recently art and reconciliation was started with exactly that type of conversation and and that just means that you end up you know you're off to it you, you've got a head start in many ways in terms of your research possibly having a, a, a positive difference it's not guaranteed of course but by by making sure that what what you're doing is of potential relevance and value to the communities that you're engaging with. And I think that was, yeah, it's something that I think is very valuable that I've certainly learned from, from James and, and Rachel. And I think I, I would just fight that. Yeah. That original question, which in that case came to us from somebody at UNDP, the point was it was a good question. 
it was a good research question that set going a whole load of other research questions and activity well beyond that question. But knowing that there's interest is good for developing a research agenda, but the research takes its own shape. Thank you both. Yeah, I mean, clearly IDS, you know, the, those issues around participatory action research, inclusive and equitable research. I mean, they we see those as absolutely interlinked with the impact agenda. And, you know, currently that isn't evident in frameworks like the REF. I wanted to ask, uh, when you when you looked across the impact case studies, did you get any sense at all that research teams that sort of plan their pathways to impact, which has been a requirement for research council funding for a while, although you no longer need a separate pathways to impact statement. But do when researchers plan for impact, and, and in a sense, pathways to impact do treat research impact as a process rather than a set of outcomes. <laughs> Did you find any evidence that people that do that increase the likelihood of achieving impact? Is there a value can you see anything from what you studied of the of the value in planning for impact and maybe even thinking of a theory of change and who you're going to need to engage with and how you think change happens as part of the research process? I don't think you could get that specifically from what uh, f- from the research for the book, because, I mean, we didn't see. The, the research planning that went into those those projects, I guess there's an assumption that you can make is one of the correlations we saw was that there's a high correlation between quality funding and high scores. And as part of that quality funding, so research council funding, they would have had to have planned impact pathways as part of their application. But I mean, it would be in a total assertion to say that that's what led to the value of, of impact. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think we could say for sure, based on the data from from that book. But I'm sure James has, I mean, James has worked on so many research grant projects that I'm I'm sure he's got more to say about that. Yeah, I think it's uneven. In some cases, you will see that evidence was there, that the question was being developed uh, with some kind of partner. And where that's the case, then clearly... Uh, there's a greater chance that that structure of a pathway to impact will generate things. Uh, However, I would also stress from personal experience that accident and serendipity are far more to be valued. Uh, If you have a pathway, it's not a, a direct route map to achievement, but it may mean that you're on roads where you will bump in to something. And I think that may be a more appropriate way of looking at these kinds of things. It's right to think sometimes about what use this research might have. Uh, but in my experience, uh, as Henry said, from yeah. a long history of research council funding, different sources of funding, wherever there is impact, it's not very often because you were thinking that's what it would be beforehand. It's the accidents, the serendipitous moments that come along where something you go, whoa. One of the problems with instrumental impact and the, and the attachment some people have to it is that they see it as a simple linear transmission belt or like a, a heating system. You have research, you have uh, expression, dissemination, you have reception, you end up with impact or you don't. And in truth, it's not really like that. 
It's about being open to things happening along the way. It's about engaging to allow opportunities. And really it's a kind of, it's not a, it's not a system, it's an ecology. Impact emerges through an ecology in which openness and engagement are key parts of research and practice and whatever's happening in the world. Now, uh, of course, all those, uh, we, we were speaking in the age of CV19 uh, and historically amazing rapid work to develop vaccines. Now, quite clearly, all that research has been undertaken in a very short space of time in a very directed way, knowing what the questions are, knowing what the, who the beneficiaries are, what, what the desired answers are. And that will clearly work out with great impact stories for somebody one day. Uh, but it's not very often that it starts and ends like that. Thank you. That's, that's great. I've got a last question. I think it'd be a nice one to finish on. And this has come up a little bit already. One of the reasons uh, we got excited about your book is because we've been thinking a lot in development studies about what we can learn from other, uh, other areas of social science. And in particular, I think with the merger of the Department for International Development with the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, I think the worlds of international affairs and security studies and all of that stuff is, is now we're, we're going to be thrown together a bit more. Do you think there are any particular areas of mutual learning that our... Uh, disciplines could could focus on. I mean, we've we around impact. I mean, we've mentioned participatory research. We obviously are all doing research in international settings. But is there anything particularly you think we should be uh, a, a dialogue that could be happening between us on on this issue of impact? For my part, I don't I don't think that's even the right question. Uh, yeah, there isn't to me. There is no such division. That's in part because I'm a mongrel. I don't regard myself as coming from any particular place or fitting in any particular place uh, that much of the work I've done has been in relation to what might be called development agendas. I mentioned the ECOWAS stuff with Fumio Lonishakin, uh, conflict in, you know, uh, so that's about security and development uh, and that has entailed a whole range of discussion and dialogue over many years and it's not just about Fumi and me but it's also about other people around us in the environments we relate to. So I kind of tend to, I think the dialogue is already underway and I don't think uh, that it's about separate silos and binary arrangements. I think we're all part of one realm and uh, there are conversations, but the more we have more of them, the more they're enhanced, the better. Yeah, I guess to concur, if we were to think something that I found striking within the sub-disciplines of international affairs that I'm most familiar with, things like peace building and conflict studies, is that there's, a, I guess, a latent learning of lots of the discussions that were happening in development studies in the 80s and 90s. So the words like participation are considered glam and novel in, in peace building in a way that, and you know, we're rehashing loads of the debates that were had in development studies about hybridity, about co-option. So I, I think if it, you know, that particularly from where I sit within uh, international affairs and, and the sort of things that I focus on, I'd actually say that we're currently learning quite a lot from development. And uh, I, I find it always so weird how you see the same conversations happening so so often without any cross-referencing and treating all of these ideas as if they're coming out of nowhere. Um, and I mean, 
whilst James is true that we're we're you know we are hybrid entities in terms of what we look at and where where we get our ideas and and knowledge from across a range of disciplines I think sadly that's still not universally the case in terms of the study of international relations and international affairs more more generally and there could be a whole lot more learning from each other than I think can be that that is often prevented by siloed thinking about what types of disciplines we situate ourselves in yeah and I, I would echo that and underline it international affairs is broad and includes international development it includes a whole range of other things uh, and within that we come across some people who are stuck in silos uh, just as we come across people who are stuck in silos of i'm a historian or uh, i'm i'm a geographer i mean me, all of these things is about what is the best research and what's going to make the difference and it may be a bit redundant at this stage but i point one of the things in the book when we're looking at the evolution of international affairs and impact prior to the formal assessment agenda uh, is a big initiative in the early 2000s by the research councils, especially the ESRC, to encourage research on security, on conflict. Uh, And one of the biggest outcomes of that was not any difference in particular to agendas and research, but in who, who, who was doing the research and the kind of research being done. And that was a moment at which kind of traditional started to be broken down and new forms of social research, of engaged research, uh, began to be introduced as approaches and methodologies. And I think that's a continuing process and it will continue because it's the kind of creative path that leads to useful research useful in terms of research itself useful in terms of making a difference in the world indeed and, and you certainly also do reflect in in the book on the value of interdisciplinarity as part of the of the one of the ingredients for research impacts it's great to hear so many areas of existing overlap and or, or, or fact where these disciplines aren't separate at all well i'm, I'm just going to finish by thanking you both so much uh, it's a it's a really interesting read i think for anyone who's curious about the research impact agenda and the implications for social sciences in particular and uh, i would strongly recommend it thank you both for your time and let's keep in touch Thank you, James, and indeed, let's do so. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. If you like this, then please subscribe and share. Between the Lines is a monthly podcast. It's brought to you by the Institute of Development Studies. Follow us on Twitter at IDS underscore UK or visit ids.ac.uk.